Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbit. Today we're talking about heaven. We had a question that was submitted into the question box, our uh, sermon request box that we have here uh, at Northwest. And so we, we decided, Kurt and I decided to go ahead and handle this um, in a podcast as opposed to presenting it from the pulpit. So what, the questions are this, with concerning heaven, what is it? What does heaven look like? And what will we look like? And those are some huge questions uh, and important questions. And they are on everyone's mind who's even thought about heaven for a second. Um, so, so let me begin. That, you know, What is it? We know from the word of God that heaven exists now and God is there. Psalm 11 and verse 4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold the sons of men. In Acts chapter 7 Stephen tells us the Most High God does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. We also know from Mark's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, and Acts chapter 1, that Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. We're told that he ascended into heaven, and they are together once again. 1 Peter 3, 21-22, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven, and he is at the right hand of God now, currently. So it's not something that will come about later. Heaven is is real now. Hebrews 8, in verse 1, the Hebrew writer says, Now this is the main point of the things that we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. So heaven is a real place. That's got to be our answer to to what is heaven. Yeah, and I think... It's really important to watch how we think about heaven. Uh, not a lot is given in the Bible as to what heaven looks like or, or you know, specifics. And that's, uh, I believe, because of the limitation of our minds. We just can't comprehend that because we're physical beings. We live in a physical universe. We're limited by the material and the temporary Heaven is spiritual and eternal, and we can't wrap our minds around it. Uh, but we need to be careful that we don't think of heaven in physical terms. It is a different realm. That's how we have to look at it. Uh, I often think of it, uh, I used to be a fan of science fiction, not very much anymore, but uh, I used to think of heaven, and I, I do think of heaven now as a different dimension. Uh, it is a spiritual realm. We live in the physical realm. Those are two distinct realms, two different realities. And we have no contact uh, physically with the spiritual realm. We can't see it. We can't touch it. We can't hear what's going on there. All we can go by is what God has revealed in his word because he's the only one can, that can tell us what his dwelling place is like. Right. So heaven, I, I believe, is all around us. I, I don't buy in anymore to, oh, it's out there beyond the stars. You know, it's out so high that it's way out there. Uh, it's pictured like that in the Bible in ways. It's always up because up is the positive direction. Down is negative. It, it tends to be bad. We're buried down in the earth. We're lifted up in glory. But... Uh, all of that is just to say 
we have to be careful about thinking about heaven in carnal terms that oh boy I'm gonna have my favorite ice cream there forever no that is not gonna happen it's a spiritual place which then leads us to several conclusions that are borne out in Scripture for us to be there we have to be spiritual beings but again it's a spiritual realm we're limited to the physical so that's kind of hap- that's going to be our starting place in dealing with what heaven is like mm, it's yeah. n- it's like nothing that we can equate to here on this earth and this is the only experience we have yeah so we have to let god tell us yeah exactly and, and jesus obviously coming down from heaven as the bible clearly relates that to us uh, to walk with mankind, he knows what heaven is like, and he has a lot to say about it. I, if, if, in order to answer the question about heaven, and then now getting into what does it look like, we know that it exists. What, what does it look like? Jesus says in John 14, that's a great place to turn. The first several verses there, but he says, "In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you." So, uh, again, it's a place. Uh, Jesus gives us a description. Hebrews 12. 22 through 23 talks about an innumerable number of angels that are gathered uh, in the new Mount Zion. Uh, And there's a description there in Hebrews 12. Revelation 7, uh, 15 through 17 is a great place. Uh, One of the most vivid descriptions that I'm aware of or familiar with is in Revelation 21. Mm. And uh, I'd like to just read Revelation 21, uh, really just the first seven verses. John the Apostle says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Mm. And so that is a beautiful picture, Revelation 21, of the new heaven and the new earth, that God is now in a place dwelling with men. Uh, those of us who lived our lives as human beings and have overcome, that, that's clearly there in, in Revelation 7, that, that we have to overcome the difficulty, the challenges, the temptations of sin uh, to be found victorious in Jesus Christ, and, and, and then again, to be present with God forever. And, and like you've pointed out, it's not carnal. And that's our, that's our challenge. It is spiritual. And still, God knows that he, in order to communicate these things to us, he has to use carnal pictures so that we can grasp, you know, what is it? We, we would be so frustrated if it was nothing given to us about what it is. And all he says is in every verse, trust me, it's good, you know. He knows that about us, so so he provides some things. One of them is he's going to wipe every tear from our eye. 
there are no tears in heaven, no sorrow, no discomfort, no need to go see a doctor. There's no need for police officers to be roaming the street because it is absolute perfection. Nothing can, can dirty it. Nothing can, can bring it down from its perfect creation that God has already made it to be. Um, so that, again, there's carnal things there so that we can somehow grab a hold of the spiritual side of that. Yeah, especially when you look farther down in Revelation 21, he describes this city in physical terms. There are, it's a, there's a wall. It's got gates in it. Jewels. And, but, yeah. you know, the wall is decorated with all kinds of beautiful jewels. The gates are made of pearl. The streets are paved with gold. But none of that's literal. This is a vision. But what God is doing, as I pointed out earlier, he's using the most beautiful things that our minds are familiar with to try to help us understand it's, it's going to be a place of grandeur. Uh, the one description I really love, in fact, I've got it outlined or underlined in my Bible here, is in verse 5 where God promises, Behold, I make all things new. Yeah, there you go. You know, we live in a world that is wearing out. It's getting old. I'm getting old. Everything we have gets old and wears out and eventually fails. We die. But God is going to make everything new. And the picture that gives me, and I think it's a motive for why people ask the questions we're dealing with today, what's heaven like? What, what's it going to be like when we get there? What am I going to be doing? is we lost paradise when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And ever since then, we've been yearning for what we lost. Mm. And God says, we're going to get it back. I will make all things new. Right now, uh, my, the hairs on my arms are just standing up. <laughs> I got tingles from yeah, that. Cause awesome. Just think about that. That heaven-shaped hole in our heart is going to be filled up by the one who can provide abundantly. And, and it's just wonderful. And, and as you said, you won't need cops roaming the street. I believe there in the Revelation passage, it talks about the gates are never closed. Mm. Uh, and that was a defensive measure for walled cities back then that people were familiar with in Bible times. At sundown, you close the gates because now it's getting dark and you need protection from your enemies. Mm. And those gates weren't opened until sunrise, when now you can see again. Well, God says, first of all, there's no night there, because he's the light. And the gates don't need to be closed, because there's nothing to have to defend against. There's no danger to be protected from in heaven. It's all peace. It's glory. It's it's. We're in, in the presence of the victor, the conqueror, Jesus Christ, and there's nothing there that can threaten us anymore. That's right. The, and the Bible says several times in the Old Testament, and it's re- repeated in the New, that no man can see God and live. Yes. Imagine somebody trying to sneak in. That's not going to happen. The presence of Almighty God is there, and only those who were prepared and preserved by God himself, who he has formed and, and now given this new body in order to to see him, to take him in, 
if he revealed himself to men now, we would drop dead. We cannot, we cannot stand before a holy and a perfect and a just and a loving God. We, we have no business in his presence as we are. He, knowing that, obviously, with sending Jesus to, to die, to shed his blood, uh, to wash away our sins, uh, prepares us so that eternal life is now granted that we can stand before him. So the gates can be open, like you said, all the time. No one's coming in. No one can approach. No one can come near unless it's already been granted, permitted, and accomplished by Almighty God. And, and, and we can't, it's a mistake, as you've already pointed out, to try and get all that working in my mind. Like I want to know exactly what it looks like before I decide. Uh, that is not part of the deal because you cannot. Paul Doesn't Paul say, I think in the Second Corinthian letter, things were seen are unlawful to be uttered yep. because we can't receive it even if even if we were told what was seen in heaven we couldn't take hold of it so it's just it can't even speak the words necessary to describe it and that's amazing to me yeah. but it, but it helps us understand that we're not prepared for that realm yet and so how could we know it even if someone gave it to us in great detail yeah and in fact it another going into another part of the question was wh- what will we look like as you said we our physical eyes and our physical bodies cannot exist in the presence of the majestic light of the perfect God. We just can't do it. We need to accept that. We often think, well, I could. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And most of the time in the Bible, when even an angel shows up, the people are puddles on the ground, and the angel has to say, fear do not. not fear. That's right. God has to constantly reassure people don't be afraid Mm -hmm. because that is going to be our natural reaction in the presence of a god who is so far above us and so perfect that we can't comprehend it in our sinful little physical bodies so in order for us to see him and understand what he's like and who he is he sent his son in the flesh when jesus said you've seen me if you've seen me you've seen the father so now we can look on Jesus and know what God is like. And John tells us in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 2 that it hasn't been revealed to us what we shall be. So we can only speculate, and all of our speculations are going to be way short because we just can't comprehend. No, it's not within us to know that. But he goes on and says, We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So, what am I going to look like in heaven? I'm going to look like Jesus. Now, don't think about that in physical terms. You mean you're going to have the same beard or what? You know, no, no, no. no. But I'm going to be wearing his purity, his righteousness, his glory. I'm sharing, and he's giving to me everything that he is in heaven. That's right. I love that you mentioned that when you look at angels appearing to men, they often fall to the ground. Men fall to the ground in fear. Daniel, I'm mindful of Daniel. Daniel dropped to the ground, bowed himself, and the angel has to touch him and say, stand up. I, you know, I've got to tell you some things. Uh, do not be afraid. Isaiah, 
It says, In the year when King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We have angels with six wings, <laughs> seraphim, that, yeah, again, yeah. if they stood in front of us, we would pass out. Yeah. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord in his temple, on his throne. And these six, these, these beings that flew above him, you know, as he describes them, those would cause us to, to die. And what are they doing? They are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. All of their focus and attention, their praise and, and honor and reverence is directly applied to God himself. And so, again, there, there's pictures there. There's something that we can see. To be in his presence, where there's no pain or fear or tears, the remembrance of this life is, is ultimately irrelevant because of all that he is and all that he has done. And I think also Peter says that uh, our inheritance does not fade away and is not defiled. Um, it doesn't grow old. Don't worry about thinking, well, I'm bored. What are we going to do? That's not going to happen. It does not fade. It is not defiled. It is constantly blowing our minds constantly for eternity. And God can do that. One thing I, I think about often, as you touch on, you know, what are we going to be doing? Am I going to get bored? I'm one of the song leaders here at Northwest. And on a Sunday morning, to me, it's one of the great blessings in assembling with my brothers and sisters. If I'm leading singing, I get to stand up in front of the congregation and I get to hear them sing. Mm -hmm. It sounds different up in front than it does in the back or if you're in the audience. I hear everybody singing, and I just love to think that that is just a little itty-bitty taste of heaven. Yeah. For me, it's, it's, it's going to be an eternal singing. I love to listen to the, to the saints sing. Man. Uh, and it's a singing that we're never going to have to, oh, my voice is getting tired. You know, <laughs> I need a drink. It's getting time to go. Guess what? We're not going to be thirsty in heaven. No. We don't ever have to stop singing. That's right. And we will want to sing the praises of the one who bought us and enabled us to be able to come and be in that place where he is with him. That's right. And I'm never going to have to look at another brother in Christ in heaven and say, why is Kurt tone deaf? Uh, isn't, <laughs> isn't this heaven? <laughs> You're going to have yeah. an angelic, glorious, yes. beautiful All voice. All will be perfect. However yep. we communicate, everything is absolutely perfect. And it's beyond what we could even think or understand or try to guess at. And, and that, again, that faith is tied to that too, isn't it? Because we got to believe that God's going to do that. That, that cannot be my concern of is he's going to keep me busy or will I have fun. My concern has to be, or I'm sorry, my faith, my confidence has to be he, he's going to do it. And I just, I think the more we think about heaven and try to make it something, uh, the more disappointed we're going to be in ourselves when it, when it becomes real. Yeah, again, we, we can't conceive uh, what heaven is like. And so, again, we have to be careful how we think about it. If God says it's going to be wonderful beyond your imagination, my faith tells me, yeah, okay. And God says that he is able to do 
abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Well, you know, if I let myself go, I can ask or think of a lot of things. Oh, yeah. And God says he's able to do more abundantly above all Exceedingly of abundantly, Be- that's right. Yeah, exceeding. Thank you. Because Paul has to try to get us to see the point <laughs> that you can't put a limitation on God as to what he can do. So if he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, you'll get to be with me. Well, he's going to take care of the entertainment and everything else. <laughs> and there I am thinking in carnal, carnal terms. But he will provide everything we need and want. And it's all going to be spiritual. I'm never going to get hungry. I'm never going to get sleepy. He's going to provide for my spirit. And I, I don't know what that's going to be like, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that is not my problem. Yeah. I don't want to whittle on his end of the stick. That's right. always a mistake. So so what will we look like? You mentioned First John. Again, these are passages that you can go to and reference to to read through them and, and try to get a hold of some of this, just, just as we have done. But First John chapter 3, specifically mm-hmm. in verses 2 through 3, he just says that we know not yet what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like him when he is revealed. So uh, and you've made that point, and you think about Jesus, uh, again, pictures that we've seen of him. We know after he was raised from the dead that he takes on a different form, and we can watch him there at the end of each gospel, how he appears into rooms where the doors are locked. Uh, he partakes of breakfast and of supper uh, with his disciples. So you have a spirit who can walk through walls and now can eat food. <clears throat> you know, imagine trying to figure that out. <laughs> He is who he is. There is no, there's nothing on the earth that he's, he's subject to. Uh, locked doors, are you kidding me? That's, that's silly. He can do anything. And so for us, you know, can, will I see Kurt? Will I know Kurt? I believe that I will, and I believe that I can see him and, and be in front of him at the speed of thought. Uh, it's not a matter of walking or, you know, what can God do? I, who knows? Yeah, there's just, it's just he's given us a few glimpses in the Bible. He has, and it blows our it's mind. Just, so yeah. I would recommend to watch Jesus after the resurrection and just see some of the things that he does, uh, what he says about um, spirit uh, and, and, and his spirit and, and what just watching what he's capable of doing. Um, one other important part about heaven for us, and I, again, as we try to think about all that it is and all that it should be, and then tying that, what will I look like? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's dealing with this question about, well, how are we going to be raised? You know, people, there's doubters who are asking, well, if God's going to raise me from the dead, then what body will I have? You know, so they're just, again, naturally thinking, my corpse is in the ground going back to the dust. How am I going to get up out of the ground? And so Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 35, he says, some will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? foolish one what you sow is not made alive unless it dies and what you sow you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain perhaps wheat or some other grain so he gives us an earthly idea that if you want to have a bountiful plant that's going to bear fruit and be all that it's going to be you got to put a dead seed in the ground he and he says you're foolish because you already know this that seed has to go into the ground and be planted in order for that plant the intended end by God is the plant and then the, all the fruit that's born out of it. So so he talks about Adam uh, being a man made of dust that he, he failed, he sinned against God he died 
And so from the first Adam, we're all like him. And then he talks about the last Adam, which is Jesus. And he is the man who put on flesh, but he's from heaven. He's not of the earth as Adam was. And so in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45, listen closely to this. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. That's true. Adam, and on the timeline, Adam was first to die, and then the, the spiritual, the life-giving spirit, came after to, to provide this eternal life. So in verse 40, 47, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So he tells us there that this is how it's done. Jesus Christ is a life-giving spirit, the life-giving spirit. And he provides that for those of us who are heavenly. So if I'm a Christian, I mean, that tells me today that I'm heavenly. Again, not physically, but because of my heart, mm-hmm. my devotion to God, my, my confidence in the end uh, that he has provided. It, the Bible says in many different ways, it's already happened. Well, he- Hebrews talks about the faithful look for a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. That's right. So to be heavenly means that's where your head is. That's where your heart is. That's where your treasure is. Yep. That's what you value. It's what you think about. You're not locked into this physical earth that's going to fade away uh, with all of its decay and corruption. We're looking toward a city that was not built by men. It's built by God. So it's going to be everything that it needs to be for us. Uh, I, I love David's words again talking about what will be like and and what what it'll be like in heaven in psalm 17 15 he said as for me i will see your face in righteousness <laughs> i shall be satisfied when i awake in your likeness we're going to be satisfied we, we nothing's going to fall short heaven's going to be everything and more that we always wanted it to be and I don't even know what I want it to be because I just can't relate. No. But I know it's going to be good. Yeah. Because God does good things for his people. It's, it's, again, it's enough to just be with Jesus. Absolutely. In the same Amen. place that he is. Amen. Uh, and and to, to be pleased and thoroughly pleased, we do still have the earthly things. You know, God, we often say, you know, why... Why did God make all of these flavors and these different fruits and, you know, Mm. all these things that we can have that we can be refreshed by? Because he knows what we need and he knows how to provide it. And so there's he's given us a sample of that so that we would look to him and be drawn to him. I didn't do this on my own. I can't I can't make anything grow without the help of of what God's made real within the natural world. And if he's able to do that in a in a dark and sinful world, I mean, imagine uh, when there's just, and he's not limited, but when there's no darkness at all, what can be done? It, it's just beyond what we can possibly comprehend. And so we, um, we have a little bit to hold on to here to understand it, but we're just not going to know until we get there. 
and, and that's faith. As you said in Hebrews 11, uh, their faith and their focus was on a heavenly city, a city whose builder and maker was God. Uh, and, they, so, and by that, they understood they were pilgrims passing through. Mm-hmm. This is not what it's about. I don't want eternal ice cream. I want what he has and what he's wanting to give me, and that is it. I don't want to put my hands on it because I'll defile it. Isn't that right? I I will defile it if I try to think about what he's going to do um, because I'm not him, and I don't want to be – I want to be everything that he's asked me to be now so that I can be prepared to enter into that glorious place when he says so. Yeah, and not only when he says so, but – one thing he tells us too if if it's so important for us to get to heaven then i ought to have some information on how i can get there uh i need to know the way there and how to get in yeah all of these pictures of you come up and knock on the heavenly gates and peter answers and says what do you want you that again is is carnalizing heaven essentially (laughs) putting it trying to put it on our terms it's it's not going to be like that um a lot of people in fact i was just reading the other day as i was studying up for our discussion that it's pretty consistent in polls that are taken that 80 percent of americans believe there's a heaven most don't act like it but at least that belief is there there is a heaven and that's a glimmer of hope that's a good thing that people when they're asked about it and they think about it it's something that they think is there and they would like to have and most people think that they will go to heaven if you ask them do you think you're going to heaven well i hope so or i think so i've been a good person you know right the standard answers That's not what the Bible tells us about how we get to heaven. It doesn't depend on what we can achieve. It depends on Jesus. Jesus, in John chapter 10 at verse 9, said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So the question you have to ask yourself is, okay, how do I get to heaven? How do I know that I'm going to be there instead of, well, I hope I make it. Use the door. You've got to go in the door. <laughs> That's how you get into places. That's right. And not being a physical place, Jesus says, I'm the door. The Spirit who gives us life and resides in heaven <laughs> tells us, I'm the door. Yeah. You need to enter by me. If any will enter by me, he will be saved. And so, how do I know I'm going to heaven? Well, have I obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did I do what he told me to do? Did I believe in him, repent of my sins, confess his name, and be buried with him in baptism, and then rise to walk in newness of life, live a faithful life of service to him? Mm-hmm. If I can answer yes... I know I'm going to heaven. That's right. And it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. I go to prepare a place for you. That's right. We're to be confident in that. We're to be bold in that because God has done it. 
not because there's something special about us, but because the plan was revealed. We followed, we followed that and continue to follow it, and heaven is granted. So Paul can say without any hesitation, the, the heavenly man, the heavenly people are going to heaven because they, as you said, they've used that door. They follow and they're obedient to the Savior of all the world who loved us. You know, it's not like, well, so I got to have a master. No, no. He loved us so much that he gave his own life and died in such a terrible and horrible way to pay for our dreadful sins. He has done everything to make this possible. And I think that's part of it, too. Why would I shortchange God and say, well, can we drive cars or, you know, whatever my weird question is. Christ gave his life so that we could be with him in heaven for eternity. What's it going to be like? Let him do the work. Let him make it what it is because the price he has paid shows the value that he puts on this uh, being redeemed or redeeming his children back to himself. So I, that is such a good point and, and has got to be part of our thinking when we consider heaven. Um, I have a final verse I'd like to read, but do you have anything that you'd... No, no. In fact, I'm looking forward to that final verse. I think oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and we, what we wanted to do was just bring everything together and, and have a nice concluding point about heaven, and, and there's a lot for us to wonder about and think about, and it's okay to do that, but that we have a way to get there, and that when that's provided and we're assured of that, we will be in an eternal bliss with God, um, perfection forever. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked, for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body, and to be present from the Lord. Mm. Mortality will be swallowed up by life. My mortal standing now will be swallowed up yeah. by a life that cannot end. Yeah, it, that's a... You know, the Holy Spirit chose words from each individual's vocabulary to try to explain to us God's will swallowed up in life <laughs> that just off the top of my head that might be the only place in the bible where that term is used that way yeah i don't know but that's what the holy spirit's trying to get across to us it's it's not going to be a timid just barely made it by an inch thing our mortality all of our limitations everything that's involved in this life is going to be swallowed up in life swallowed up in victory mm. oh death where is your sting that's right jesus has given us the victory and that victory will be eternity with him that's right crown of life 
That is awesome. Well, we sure hope this has been helpful to obviously the one who gave us the question, Mm -hmm. but to everyone else who has been good about listening to these podcasts and and listening uh, to the Word of God being presented and and then expounded upon. If you're new to this program, you may not be aware, but we have trivia questions that we want you to participate in. And so I'm I'm assuming my good buddy has brought two questions. You have assumed correctly. Awesome. At least two. (laughs) Okay. And I have two as well. Um, (laughs) What is your first trivia question? Okay. Uh, Actually, he was mentioned a little earlier. Who was the prophet who saw the vision of a stone that was cut out of the mountain? without uh, without hands. I'm going to say Isaiah. Well, he saw a stone cut out of the mountains without hands that grew into a great stone. Oh, and Daniel. Yes. I'm sorry. That's I, right. I couldn't think of any other prophet we mentioned. That's why I tried to choose. Da- well, you mentioned Daniel. Yes. Because he it. saw Daniel, the man dearly beloved by God. That's right fell on his face in fear when an angel appeared. So, yeah. What, yes, what's the passage for that? That is Daniel chapter 2, uh, verses 35 and 45. A tremendous vision of right. the glory of the kingdom of God. That Man. insignificant little kingdom that grows and conquers all the nations of the earth. So I got that wrong. I'm, I'm convinced that if I would not have tried to think about the prophets that we talked about today. Okay, so I, I shouldn't have even mentioned that. I, no, I no, it's not your off. fault. No way. The, the, the <clears throat> answer's still right or it's wrong, but I... I just I, I, I realized mentally that it was I was hung up thinking, who did we mention? Uh, trying to cheat. I should have just I, sh- I should have just thought of the question. Yeah, you so know it's I, uh, Daniel, not Isaiah. I know. I, but I, I, Isaiah, I mean, he has so many visions of that's right. the Messiah and the kingdom and all these things. That's that right. it, it's natural to think about him too. Yeah. Okay, you can slap me with one and get even. Okay. Although I, I, vengeance I want, belongs I want to this, the Lord. No, no, this has to be perfectly answered. Okay. Ooh. Okay. okay. How did Samson? Oh, I, see, I can see you're already thinking. How did Samson destroy the grain fields, the olive groves, and the vineyards of the Philistines? He tied torches to the tails of two foxes and set them free. Two foxes? Well, there were three hundred foxes, but he tied one torch to the tail of two foxes, and, and so you had hundred and fifty torches going out into the fields. <laughs> Is that precise enough? I mean, you said it had to be an exact answer. No, you got it, man. It's Were a, they red foxes or gray? Both. A little mixture. Right? Okay, okay. It just any fox that came along. Yeah, he okay. wasn't like, he just needed to get 300, so he wasn't now, like. That's trying. a lot of foxes. Boy, think about it. <laughs> the answer is he caught 300 foxes, turned them tail to tail, and put a burning torch between their tails, then released them into the fields, which is what you gave us. Judges 15, verses 4 through 5, 300 foxes. What is the third question, my second question for today? Alrighty. This is a finished the verse. Okay. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 124 and verse 18. No. Is that right? Psalm 118, 24. There you go. Man. I knew you had it. I go, ooh, he's got the numbers. He knows what it is. Yes. But yes, this is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad psalm in it. Psalm 118 is a great prophetic psalm. Yes, uh, it is. Messianic psalm. Awesome. Okay. Um, good, good get. Who, last question. 
Who was Bathsheba's first husband? Uriah the Hittite. Exactly, Uriah the Hittite, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 3. Really sad moment in time when David says, uh, Who is this woman bathing on the roof over there? And his servants say, Is this not Bathsheba? And they say the daughter of, they name her, her father, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then the next thing he does is go get her. Yeah. Bring her to me. Unbelievable. That just the wording of his servant, he just said, oh, okay, she's married. Yeah, but that didn't stop him for a second. No, and unfortunately, even in that, and I think just based on our topic today, David was a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. He failed, um, king of Israel. God was with him in every battle he ever stepped into, and it was this the spiritual battle within the lust you know the desire for another man's wife that tore him down to the ground and dishonored god and obviously embarrassed his people that god forgave him uh he was restored and he's mentioned in hebrews 11 Mm -hmm. Um, again never a permission for us to sin or live in sin but to know that god has offered a way through christ that if if we did sin that his blood cleansing blood is available to us if we forgive or we confess our trespasses the bible tells us he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and this is the god who has prepared a place for us 